Portugal team meeting just right after this, right after church. It'll just be a short meeting. It needs to disseminate some information. So if you're on that team, just go into Murdy's classroom right after this service. If you can't make it, uh, just try to grab Rick. He's somewhere around here. He's got a couple handouts for you as uh, we're just getting ready for uh, those meetings or those, uh, those mission trips. So uh, that time is coming up quickly. Uh, let's stand up and worship the Lord this morning. God, thank you for bringing us here, Lord. Lord, thank you for being our Father, Lord. Thank you for being the one, Lord, who, who doesn't call us slaves, Lord, but calls us friends, God. And we, would only, we, we, would, we wouldn't be standing here, Lord, if you didn't consider us friends, if you didn't consider us, Lord, so valuable that you gave your life for us, God. And it's the only way that we're here. Stand on our feet, Lord, in your house this morning, Lord. So as we stand on our feet, let us worship you. Let us honor you and praise you with our lips and with our hearts, Lord, and with our beings. Pray that we would. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh!
turn and encourage one another this morning. Turn to your places. We will sing about the faithfulness of our great God this morning. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. Brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Savior, you have brought me near. You pulled me from the ashes. You have broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set this captive. 
wheelchair stuff. For a while, but here again, we have some updates for you. Um, for the move for mobility, but first I want to thank you guys for all what you did, whether it was coming or giving or praying, like all of it. Um, it was such a great day. Um, it was two weeks ago, maybe, or one week ago. One week ago. Feels like a long time ago. Um, there was probably about 100 people that showed up. Some staggered, but it was great. And um, it was just a blessing. And I love being part of this church. Just want you to know how thankful I am, but this is my dad, and he has some updates for us in our competition, our friendly competition, but uh, you're going to like the updates, so here they are. Yep, somebody's going to like the updates. Um, I wanted to show also a few pictures of, of just the faces of people that, that got wheelchairs. 
and one of the one of the men um, that got a wheelchair had crawled for 80 years and finally got his chair and um, you'll see a lot of kids that got got to go to school again maybe for the first time a lot of parents um, no longer have to carry their children and there's a the last picture on the 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 PowerPoint shows me um, with a girl and from Somalia that's just screaming her head off and you wonder why I would put that up there and it's basically because it's I love that picture it's gotten me out of more VBS's <laughs> but um, although I was in a VBS last week so anyway um, so three years ago when Sarah first challenged Wyoming first challenged um, Idaho, um, you guys won, and the next year, and maybe this year too. But, um, but 2021, um, between Idaho and Wyoming, there were 315 people that got wheelchairs, but you won by 20 wheelchairs that year. Um, last year, there were, uh, why don't you save it till the end there? <laughs> Um, last year, there were 485 people that got wheelchairs just because of this competition, and you won by nine wheelchairs. And so um, this year, it's not over. There's 12 more days, and um, so far, there's 583 people that will be getting wheelchairs and having lives transformed and, and, uh, and hear, most of them hearing the gospel um, on Friday, Idaho was ahead by 50 wheelchairs, 50 wheelchairs. We were ahead, but by the, uh, by the end of the day, I think thanks to Jay, you guys are now ahead by five wheelchairs. <laughs> and so, and I know there's checks going in from both sides, so there's probably going to be uh, more and more wheelchairs, probably hit the 600 um, number of wheelchairs for this year, um, but there's, uh, we'll know probably a few days after July, after July 1st, but I just want to thank you all in all, so far in the last three years, 1,383 people have gotten wheelchairs, and most of them have heard the gospel, um, not every, um, not every group gets to hear the gospel because they're in Muslim countries, but we know that they are prayed over and their lives are, are changed also. So thank you so much. This church has been awesome. It's, you know, the, the pictures from last weekend are amazing of the horses and the kayaks and the free wheelchair mission has never seen anything like that from an event like this. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for being a part of that. I know a lot of you gave so that they could um, have this project. Um, I would go sit down in that wheelchair, but I might roll down the steps and... <laughs> That would not be good. Anyway, let's pray and pray that God would use what we specifically gave for his glory uh, as they go around the world. Uh, I'm sure they pack up containers and ship them to a certain country. 
But let, let's pray that God would use those uh, wheelchairs for his glory. Father, I just thank you for my brother here and for Sarah, for all those who participated. We thank you for Jay, who's been a real champion in, in um, promoting this and, and getting donations. I pray that you would use these wheelchairs for your glory, Lord. May people find the love of Jesus through receiving these wheelchairs. May they be a great um, expression of your love for people and for the hurting in our world. Use it as an opportunity, Lord, for us to, for people to share the gospel of Christ with these who need it as well. Father, you're so loving and kind to us. You've blessed us. Help us just to be grateful for that. And thank you that our church could be a part of this program. Father, just bless uh, our, our service now. May your word go forth with power. Uh, be with Pastor Mike as he delivers your message to us today. And I pray for the offering that you would uh, just use that for your glory. Thank you that we can give uh, with cheerful hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, brother. together and sing about this work of our Savior.
may be seated. All right, time for our kids to go to super church, third grade and under. And good morning. Man, it's been a, it's been a crazy morning. Uh, first service was just such a battle going on spiritually, if in nobody else's heart but my own, for sure, for sure my own. And, and yet we, uh, we took our Sunday school hour to pray, and man, prayer changes things, you know? Prayer's a powerful thing. I hope you guys are leaning into the Lord more and more through prayer and trusting Him and growing in that because it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I want to take some time to thank everybody who served at VBS um, vacation Bible school was powerful this year. Great servants. The gospel was powerful. We know of one young man that trusted Christ, and I'm, I'm, I'm always sure there's more. And, but we don't really just have them raise all their hands together. I think sometimes if one boy raises his hand, three boys will raise their hand. They didn't really mean it. So we just trust the Lord to do his work. But uh, thank you, guys. It's a, it's a long week, vacation Bible school is. And it's always fun to come on Fridays, you know, because, whew, Folks are dragging themselves in here on Friday with a smile on their face because they're thankful, but they're tired, you know. So thanks, guys. Appreciate that. And I want to say happy Father's Day, too, to all the fathers and thankful for the men. We, we know that God has said that, man, it's the man called to lead the family. It's the husband who's the head of the wife. Uh, it's the father who is the one responsible to raise up their children and to make an impact. And, and I know the world's not pleased with that. I know there's people even in the body of Christ that hate that when I say things like that, but that's the word of God. And so what that means to me is that you men that are here, that are walking with Christ and praying and striving and leading and loving and serving, thank you. It's a huge thing. And so I'm very thankful for you and I wanna take a minute to pray for you and then we'll get started. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for the men, not just the fathers, but for the men that walk with you, that you were gracious to save, and Lord, they have loved you and seek you and persevered in you, and they're making a huge impact on their families, in their neighborhoods, and where they work. Lord, thank you for them. Let us be strong men, not in the ways of the world, but strong in love and strong in grace and strong in humility, strong in faith, Lord God, strong in worship. Help us be men that would lead others to Christ. Do, And Lord, protect us from the evil one and protect our families as we do it. And Lord, we love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. We're going we're gonna to finish this section that we've been on the last two weeks on these woe statements that Jesus brings against the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. And it's been a, it's been a really kind of tough thing to talk about hypocrisy, to talk about Christ's confrontation with people I mean, there's all kinds of things that we struggle with in that. I mean, there's, we struggle to think that maybe there'd be some hypocrisy in us. We struggle to think that maybe, you know, Jesus wouldn't be so hard and so harsh 
I mean, there's people that they can read the Bible and still say Jesus was never confrontational. He was never condemning. He was never truthful to the place where he'd tell you to, you know, you're going to go to hell. But truth be known as he was. And we'll see that even more today because, you know, Jesus is not going to back off of who he is. He's about to go to the cross. These guys were working to discredit him. These guys in chapter 22 had gone to him to ask questions that would cause him to trip up perhaps and maybe they could discredit him. And literally every time he answered, he would expose their hypocrisy, their ignorance. And then in chapter 23, he comes and basically calls them out. And it's powerful because he's not gonna back up and he's not gonna back away. He's not gonna be ashamed of who he is. He's not gonna be ashamed of calling us to the truth about the gospel. He's just not gonna be, we might be. Matter of fact, it's one of the great concerns that we have today for the body of Christ is that we are backing away from truth. We're so afraid of somebody you know, challenging us or we're so afraid of somebody not liking us. We're so afraid that you know, somehow if we speak truth then we're gonna be rejected, but you shouldn't be afraid of it. Can I just say, it's gonna happen. Jesus taught that it was going to happen. If they did this to the master, what are they going to do to his followers? I mean, we talked, we, you read the scriptures and Paul wrote, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And yet here we are trying to somehow get out of what the scripture says is going to happen. So why would we back up? Jesus didn't and we shouldn't either. And so here he is, he's brought these woes. We're coming to the last two this morning in verse 27. Um, but he's really challenged these guys. I mean, he's told them, right? You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people because you don't enter it yourself. He's told them that you devour widows' houses while at the same time making these you know, public long prayers, trying to show off your spirituality. No, he's told them that, you know, they travel around to make one proselyte and when they actually follow these guys, they become twice the son of hell as these guys were before. I mean, these are not gentle things that Jesus is saying. He's calling them to truth. He's told them that they, they manipulate this, this making an oath and, and how they just make everything about rules to make themselves look good. And, and quite honestly, he just goes on and on. He's told them that they were hypocrites because they, they focused on the small things instead of focusing on the big things when they should do it all together. No, he's told them that they were like, you know, that they'd clean the outside of the, of the cup and the dish, but they wouldn't clean the inside. He's talking about their hearts being impure. I mean, he's not, he's not being gentle here. He's not been gentle. I think we're going to kind of see today, even as he kind of ramps it up, what his goal is, what his purpose is. But I, I got to tell you, Man, it's, it's high time for us to start acting like what we have is worth sharing. And who Christ is, is worth calling people out for, right? It's, it's high time that we actually say that this world, apart from Christ, is destined for hell. They don't have to do another thing to go to hell. Nobody has to do any specific thing to go to hell. They just have to refuse to believe in Jesus, and when they refuse him, gone. That's it. Because we're all sinners, right? And yet here we are, man. We're trying to dance around the truth with people. How do I tell people about Jesus without telling people about Jesus? 
That's kind of what we say, isn't it? Isn't it? I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't want them to be offended. Guys, you want spiritual warfare? I mean, people talk about spiritual warfare. It drives me crazy. They talk about demons, and they talk about all these crazy things that they got to fight against. And the Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and forces in the heavenly realms. It says that. But guys, we're not even in the game if we're not sharing Jesus. There doesn't need to be any spiritual warfare if we're not sharing Jesus. Because if we're not sharing Jesus, don't tell me we're walking right with Christ. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. It's not true. So let's listen this morning. Man, open your hearts. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be rebellious. Don't be proud. Don't be the person that says, that's not talking about me. And look around the room and find the ones that it's talking to. How about we listen for us, for Christ? Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, that that you are a God who confronts and a God who convicts. I'm thankful, Lord, that the reason you confront and convict is that you might save and that you might purify and that we might have a relationship with you that is deep and sweet, full of grace and love. I pray that you would speak today to each one of us, to the lost, that they might be saved, to the follower of Christ, that they might grow. I pray that you would reveal areas of hypocrisy in our own lives, that we might repent and walk in pure hearts with pure spirits. And I pray above all else that you'd be exalted and worshiped and praised as we love you and obey you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we start in verse 27. I mean, Jesus 
Some of these woes have been somewhat similar. They've kind of built on each other, but they're getting stronger. He's not really, you know, shying away from what he's already called them to. And, and these last two are pretty powerful. I mean, first he says again to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And, and again, I mean, over and over he has said, woe, woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Every time he says it, it just brings depth and even power to what he's saying to them. They are not going to get away from God's judgment. Their hypocrisy is known by God. And he says, woe again, reminding them that God's judgment is going to come against that hypocrisy, that God's wrath is going to be poured out against that hypocrisy, that they are going to have trials and heartaches and problems because of their refusal to hear God, obey God, love God. Hypocrites, he says. But then he says, he says, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And, and quite honestly, it doesn't mean that much to us. I mean, we kind of get the picture, right? Nobody wants to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside, but there's more to it, right? They would find these tombs of dead people, or in particular in this passage, he's going to talk about later some of the prophets and so forth, and, and they would whitewash them. That means they would make them look better, supposedly, right? But that's not why it started. The reason it started with whitewash was so that people would see that there was a tomb there and not touch it. Because if you touched a tomb, according to the Old Testament, you became unclean. Matter of fact, it was one of the more difficult things to walk through was to touch a dead body or a tomb or, or even a bone. If you did, then you would be unclean for a week. Many things made you unclean until sundown, but to, be, to touch a dead person was to be unclean for a week. Let me read this to you out of Numbers 19, 11 through 13. It says, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. That one shall purify himself from uncleanness with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Now that's a little bit shocking, right? All they would do was touch a dead person. Sometimes they had to take dead people out. Sometimes they would find somebody in the countryside who had died for various reasons, and they had to touch him. And when they did that, they, become, they became unclean. They had to spend a week outside of the camp. They couldn't be among the people of God because if they came into the camp without being cleansed, they defiled the tabernacle of God. I mean, think about that. To, defy, to defile the tabernacle of God meant sin had come into his presence. I mean, death was such a picture of sin. It is the picture of sin. The wages of sin is death, right? There was no death until Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. It is the picture of sin. And so these guys, if they didn't do the ceremonial cleaning, 
not only defiled the tabernacle of God, but then they were cast out from their people. They could no longer be a part of God's people. And God's people moved on without them. And so now Jesus, who knew all things, he's telling these men, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside, man, you guys are anything but good. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness that defile everyone that comes in contact with you. It's a shocking statement. As a matter of fact, he clarifies it so they wouldn't miss it. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And what he's saying is, you guys are trying to live like somebody that you're not. You're trying to say, I love God. You're trying to say, I follow God. You're trying to say, I obey God. You're trying to say this and you're trying to say that. But rather than blessing people because of who you are inwardly, you're actually bringing this ugliness and this uncleanness and this defilement and spreading it to others around you. No wonder Jesus said to them earlier, you travel about through land and sea trying to make one proselyte. And when you make him a proselyte, he becomes twice the son of hell as you were before. No wonder. I mean, and let's think about this now. Let's think about this. I mean, how many of us, if we were absolutely honest, would say, man, we don't always show everything about who we are. I mean, we, we know how to put on the right show, don't we? If you've been in church for a long time, you really know how to put on the show. But even if you're a new Christian, you kind of know how to put on the show. You know who you were before Christ. So you kind of put on a show sometimes, right? But, but man, if your heart's not right, if you're not really walking with Jesus, if you claim to love Jesus and let what you really love is the world, and it's not hard to know, it's not hard to know. Sometimes people say to me, well, I don't really know. I think I love Jesus more than everything else. All I have to say to them is, what do you spend your time on? What are you infatuated with? What gives you the most pleasure? Where do you spend the most money? I mean, really, it's not hard to know whether we're hypocrites or not. I know we don't want to say that so bluntly, but it's true. I mean, I've had people say to me before, why are you so transparent? Why do you tell us things about yourself? Well, listen, man, I'm not that transparent. I haven't told you all my stuff. But one one thing I can't escape through the word of God is that I have not become all that Christ wants me to become yet. And there's no sense trying to tell you that I have because you already know. That's a crazy thing about hypocrites, right? Hypocrites often don't admit their own sin, but everybody else knows. It's not hard to see a hypocrite. Like they, they, they glow because they claim things about themselves that aren't true. Now I'm convinced that God would rather us be willing to admit that, yeah, we are falling short, and yes, we need your help, Lord, and yes, we're weak, and yes, we don't know everything, and we don't understand everything, and we don't control anything, and Lord, please, 
Please help me. The Lord, give me grace and give me strength and give me faith and give me courage and give me compassion and give me love because, man, I'm struggling with it all. Right? There's nothing hypocritical about that. And I'll be honest, the ones that make an impact on your life are the honest ones. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Man, the ones that tell us there's you know, nothing wrong with them. There's no struggles in their life. They're just so awesome. Nobody believes them. Because everybody knows it's not true. And that impact, man, that's a killer impact. Men and women, it's, it's hard sometimes to admit that there's hypocrisy in our life. But I got to tell you, once again, as we go through this, God knows. You're not hiding from anybody. God knows. One of the most heartbreaking things about a hypocritical Christian is that they cost others their lives. They cost others their lives. Far too often today in the United States, in the American church, people are all about saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Isn't the truth about who we are in Christ is that we're not good people except we were saved by grace and that's Christ's blood that cleanses us and Christ's spirit who lives in us. And if there's anything good in us, isn't it true that it's Christ and not us? Tell somebody that sometimes and see how uncomfortable you make them. Even just to say, all glory to God. When somebody says, thank you, pastor, I just want to say, man, listen, it's all about God. I've said this so many times, but people go, you know, if you were really wise, pastor, you just humbly say, oh, thank you. I'm not very wise. I'm telling you. If anything good happens in Mike Cooper, it's Christ. I'm not going to say thank you for something that Jesus did in me. I want to say thank you, Jesus. Even if it makes you uncomfortable. Good. You need to be a little uncomfortable. Anybody with me? Are you sure? Well, he didn't finish there. He amps it up. He goes a little further. He says, what are you scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. But Jesus says, so you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. He's not saying specifically that their dads murdered the prophets. Maybe they weren't direct descendants of the prophets. And he's not necessarily saying that these men somehow had murdered somebody because of their prophecies. But what he's saying is, is you are identifying as being from the people that murdered the prophets. You're part of them. It's part of who you always have been. I mean, Israel is one of the craziest things in the world. I mean, God raised up Israel from a single man, Abraham, right? Who, who he and his wife were almost as good as dead. 
He was 100 years old when he had Isaac. She was 90 years old when she had Isaac. It was crazy. It's almost like it was a God-sized thing. He raises them up and he brings them down to 70 people into to Egypt. And by the time that he delivers them from Egypt, 400 years later, they're 2 million strong. And he takes them out by 10 powerful miracles to show the Pharaoh that he's not God and the gods of the Egyptians are not gods, but the God of heaven lives and reigns. And reigns over his people. And he brings them out and he takes them across the Red Sea on dry ground. And he takes them to the promised land and says, there it is. Go on in and take it. Nope. Nope, we're not going to believe you. And they start to rebel. And over and over again, they rebel. And over and over again, they rebel. And God sends them men like Moses and then prophet after prophet after prophet after righteous man after righteous man after righteous man. And do you know when they kill them? Do you know when they kill the prophets? They kill them when they don't like the message. They kill them when they don't want to walk with God. They kill them when they refuse to submit to this God who's already done miracle after miracle after miracle to bring them into this promised land and to be their God, and they kill them. And Jesus says, when you say you wouldn't be a part of them, you wouldn't be a part of your fathers, killing the prophets and the righteous men, he says, you testify to the fact that you are of this people who have continually rebelled against me. And these specific men, if you go back and read earlier in Matthew, these specific men rebelled against John the Baptist, who Jesus said, of men born among women, none is greater than John the Baptist, none. But they wouldn't believe him. John the Baptist actually said to them as they were coming for baptism, you brood of vipers, hmm, sound familiar? Who warned you to flee? from the wrath to come. But man, when Herod arrested him, they stood by. When Herod killed him, they stood by because they didn't want to humble themselves before God and they didn't want to humble themselves before John the Baptist. And guess what they were about to do to Jesus? Guess what these men were about to do to Jesus? They were going to kill him. Jesus knew who they were. He's calling them out. You guys are making these tombs of these men who actually served God. Looks, look really pretty. And you say you're testifying with these men of God. But your heart is just like the heart of those who killed these prophets. To the place where you're going to kill Emmanuel, God with us. And listen to what. Listen to what he says, because he's not done here. He says, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Now let me skip verse 33 and read verse 34. It says, therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in the synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may, fa- may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. 
Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you hypocrites. And then he says, I'm going to send you men so you can do it. It's a shocking thing. It's a shocking thing. Jesus says to them, don't stop here. Let your hypocrisy flow on. Let your self-righteousness that masks the dead men's bones in you and all your hypocrisy and lawlessness in you, let it flow on. Because I'm going to keep sending people to you. I'm going to keep sending those that would tell the truth. I'm going to keep sending those who would preach the truth. I'm going to keep sending those. And you're going to crucify some of them and you're going to kill some of them. You're going to scourge some of them and you're going to persecute them from city to city. Did that happen? Is it still happening? It's still happening. They're still killing the ones that come bringing the good news. They're still killing the ones that come saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. me. They're still killing the ones that preach the truth of the gospel. They're not killing the ones that don't preach the truth. They're not killing the ones that don't matter. They're not killing the hypocrites. The hypocrites are killing the ones that really love Jesus because quite honestly, you can't live openly and honestly and sincerely for Jesus Christ and not share the gospel. You can't do it. Jesus gave the great commission. We all know it, right? Go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the living God, the one true God, teaching them all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Did he not command us? So those that live sincerely for Jesus Christ, those that aren't full of hypocrisy or fear or rebellion, whatever you want to say, we talk about Jesus We've been commanded to. He's the Lord, we're not. He's the king, we're not. He leads, we follow. He told us in Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You will be. So then what are we when we don't? What are we when we don't share? What are we? Are we sincere No. No. And I know. I know. Man, I've done this for a long time. I can almost hear people go, well, you know, I I just can't, I just can't do it. That's a lie. That's a lie. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's a lie. Isn't it? Who's with me? Listen, we don't want to say we're hypocrites, but quite honestly, how can we live sincerely for Jesus Christ and not be what he's called us to be? It's called rebellion. It's called rebellion. It's called arrogance. It's called pride. God has his ways. We go, no, God, your ways are not for me. That's arrogance and rebellion. That's carrying around dead men's bones. 
us defiling people. And sometimes you hear people say things that you go, ah, it's not really true, but I wonder, is it? When people say to you, I know more good lost people than I do good Christians. And we all go, that can't be true. Oh, it can. It can be true. Because have you never heard somebody say, if you are convinced that Jesus is the only Savior, but you don't share him? What kind of person are you? What kind of person does that? Has the key to life? Claims to know who he is and doesn't, doesn't share life? What kind of person does that? Oh yeah, a hypocritical person. Because they don't really believe what they claim. Isn't that right? Well, listen to what Jesus says because it... Sometimes we read this section and we go, wow, he was smoking and he was smoking. I mean, sometimes people say, you don't have to be so passionate. You don't have to be so whatever. Again, that's just garbage. Jesus was passionate. He makes my passion look like nothing. I mean, Brian Scott sitting back there, one of the most passionate men I've ever met. I mean it, legit passion. <laughs> Brian and I combined, we're toys. You think God, you think God's not passionate? You think that one of these days you're gonna meet God in your rebellion and he's gonna go, aw, muffin. Hebrews 10 says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we claim to know him, and yet we have no fear of him. Because you can't know God and not know his passion and his power and his zeal and his wrath and his judgment and his compassion. Because he's as fiery about one as he is the other. And he says to them, this rocks me. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape? the sentence of hell. Do you hear his compassion in that? Yeah, he called them vipers and he called them serpents. And there's not a viper on the planet that has any intention other than just to kill you. They're not very nice. But he says, how? How will you escape the sentence of hell? See here, he brings it down to the the focal point. The focal point is, is I'm showing you your hypocrisy. I'm telling you you're not sincere. I'm telling you you're not living for me. You're living for yourself. All you care about is you and your ways and your rules and your comfort and your desires. Then you care nothing about me. You're not following me. You don't believe in me. You're about to kill me. How do you expect to escape the sentence of hell? Do you not understand what he's saying? 
What he's saying is, is there's only one way and you're rejecting it. There's only one way and you're rebelling against me. There's only one way. There's no way you're going to escape that sentence of hell. And it's so true today. You can say all you want to. I'm a good person. I've got my own set of beliefs. I'm a good person. I know about God, but I don't really want to follow him. I don't really want to surrender to him. I'm a good person. I have a different belief system. I'm a different faith. I'm a good person. As long as I'm a good person, it's going to be okay. No. No. God says, no one comes to me but through Christ Jesus. I'm giving my son to die for you. I'm going to lay down my life, Jesus says, on this cross. You guys are going to take me there, and I'm going to lay it down willingly so that I can pay the price for your sins. How do you expect to escape the sins of hell if you won't come through me, if you won't take my forgiveness that's offered to you? How do you think you're gonna escape? The answer is you're not. So let me ask you, have you trusted Christ? I could care less if you're a member of our church. That's not gonna get you to heaven. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if you've, I love the people that tell me I've been baptized. I even got baptized in the, in the Jordan River when I was in Israel. Well, big deal. The Jordan's a muddy river. You got baptized in a muddy river. You had to have a shower when you got out. And I know because I've done it. Big deal. Man, have you been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ? I mean it. Have you? Is he in you? Is he alive in you? Do you know him? Does he walk with you and convict you and help you? Or is everything about your life phony? If it's not from Christ, it's hypocrisy. So he tells them, I'm going to send you all these men. You're going to kill some, crucify some, scourge some persecute them from city to city and then he says something pretty pretty heavy so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the blood the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah would have been the first and last recorded in the scriptures wasn't necessarily chronological but then he says truly I say to you all these things will, will come upon this generation and what he's saying to them that you are about to crucify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Nothing could be more heinous. No heart could be more hypocritical. No person could claim more and mean less than the ones that say we love God and yet crucify God in the flesh. And because of that, all of this guilt's gonna be laid down upon you. All of it. And now we go, oh, is, that, is that really true? Well, we're going to read some more here in a minute that'll show a little bit about what's going on. But the truth of the matter is, is, is at that point in time, God brought his wrath and judgment against Israel and opened the door for the Gentiles to come, just as he had always planned. It wasn't a shock to him. He's going to graft back in the Jews later on. But man, it's uh, it's a heartbreaking thing to go to Israel today 
I mean, as awesome as it is to go and to see the land where Jesus walked, if you go to Israel today and you just want to talk to an average Israeli today, I sat down on a bus. We were on a ride out to the Holocaust Museum, and I sat down on this bus, and this woman was kind of sitting across from me, and I just, I just asked her, I said, so tell me, what do you believe about Jesus? Nothing. He's not the Messiah. We don't really believe in him. We don't really talk about him. And I said, well, what do you believe? And she said, well, I'm a Jew. And I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, I don't really practice Judaism. I'm just a Jew. I was born a Jew. I'm from Israel. I said, well, of course you're a Jew. But you don't even practice Judaism? You don't even worship the Lord God that you claim to believe in as a Jew? No. No, I don't believe that at all. And she says, there's a lot of us who don't believe that. She says, there's some Orthodox Jews, but we don't really even trust them. Less than 2% of Israel today is Christian. Less than 2%. And it's illegal to share Christ on the streets of Jerusalem where he gave his life. It's illegal. You think, you think God didn't bring some discipline and judgment against his people for what they did to Christ and for the heart of rebellion they've had? He's brought it. And listen to what it says as we, as we finish out here, verse 37 because we really get to hear again the heart of Christ. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now he's not just talking to the, to the scribes and Pharisees. Now he's expanded it to the city and really to the people of Israel. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. What a, what a powerful word. Here's the savior of the world, the king of glory, the one who created all things, including you and me, saying, I've longed to gather you. I've longed to bring you in under my care, under my salvation, under my protection, under my love, like a hen would gather her chicks when there's danger around. She gathers them in and protects them. That's what I wanted for you. I wanted to bless you. I wanted to save you. I wanted you to be mine. I wanted you to know me. But you were unwilling, rebellious, hard-hearted, hypocritical. Well, listen to what he says next. It's, it's powerful. He says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Your house is being left desolate. He's speaking of the temple. He's speaking of the temple. God is about to leave the temple. He's about to leave them without his presence. They're always going to be his people. He's loved them ever since. But they were unwilling to let him gather them in, like many of us are today, unwilling to let God help us, unwilling to let God save us. And when we're unwilling, it's like, I'm going to leave your house to you desolate. There's no other condition for you to have. You might have all that the world would offer. You might have all that you desire in your flesh. But you won't have God when you're unwilling to turn to him for salvation. And isn't it interesting that he says, 
For I say to you, from now on, you'll not see me until, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, I'm leaving. Who's leaving the temple? Who's leaving? God? That's right. Jesus. If we read verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. When his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, he left. That's what happens, men and women. That's what happens to those who reject Christ. That's what happens to hypocrites. That's what happens. That's why Jesus brings these things to these scribes and Pharisees so that they'll hear him, so that they'll know he longs to save them. He longs to save us. He's not concerned about how you look and how religious you are. He couldn't care less about that. Good works are never going to save any of us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Never is that going to happen. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, he's willing, but so many of us, because of our hard hearts, because of our pride, because of our arrogance. Man, we have said no to him, but we sure put on a good show, don't we? We sure put on a good show. And maybe, maybe, probably not, but maybe we'll fool everybody. But you're never going to fool the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows the words you'll speak before you speak them. He knows the days of your life. He knows the hair of your head. It's appointed once unto man to die. And then the judgment. He knows the day. And when he calls and we're unwilling, how will we escape the sentence of hell? And the answer is, we won't. We won't. So is that, is that hard to hear? Do you not, do you not realize that that's death? I don't mean rotting in the ground. I don't mean that. I mean death, the second death cast into the lake of fire by the living God to be tormented night and day. Night and day. Forever and ever. That's death. The second death, the Bible says. The lake of fire. Man, do you know somebody? Do you? Do you know somebody who doesn't know Christ? Do you? I have a sister. So broken for so many reasons. So shattered by the wickedness of this world and her own sin. 61 years old and if I talk to her about Jesus, she's flaming mad at me. How will she escape the sins of hell? And I could go on and on and on and on. So what about you? Have you trusted Christ? Have you believed that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross 
and paid the penalty for your sins and mine? Have you believed that he rose on the third day? And have you said, you're Lord, and here I am. Here's my life, Lord, whatever you want. Have you said, I don't desire anything more than I desire you? So I'll follow you if it means suffering. I'll, so, I'll follow you if it means giving up my home. I'll follow you if it means giving up my wealth. I'll follow you if it means giving up my health. Have you said that? Because if you claim Christ and you've not said that, that's hypocritical too. When you come to him, come to him. Give him all. He's already Lord. Lord. If you haven't trusted Christ, why not do that today? He longs to gather you to himself like the hen gathered her chickens. He longs for it. Don't be unwilling. And man, if you're a Christian and there's pockets of hypocrisy that God has revealed to you, why not say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm not more loving. I'm sorry that I'm not more gracious. I'm sorry that I'm not more faithful. I'm sorry that I'm not more humble. I'm sorry that I present something that's not true of who I am inside. Why not ask God to forgive you and ask God to give you the grace to turn toward him and live for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thankful for your word. And Lord, you want to do deep, powerful work in us. You want us, Lord God, to, to stop living for the flesh and stop living for self and stop walking in pride. And You want us, Lord Jesus, to love to the place where we would lay down our lives for our friends, for our neighbors, for our enemies. You want us, Lord God, to be sacrificial. You want us to be courageous. You call us, Lord Jesus, to love you so much that the only thing that satisfies us is serving you. And Father, forgive us for falling short of that at any level. And I pray you'd grow us, make us like Christ. Father, I pray for those that have never trusted Jesus that even today, Lord, they'd still see your compassion. They'd see it. Now, Lord, you're calling them to escape the sentence of hell. May they turn to you, Lord Jesus. May you deliver them. May you give them life. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors will be down front. We'd love to pray with you or answer questions. Let's respond to Christ.
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thankful, Lord Jesus, that you do all the hard work that's required to bring us to yourself. We struggle, Lord God. We're weak. We're rebellious. But Lord God, you're sufficient for us. You're faithful to us. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May you give us humble spirits, Lord Jesus, to obey as you speak and to walk with you and to love you. May you bless us, Lord God, as we draw near to you. May you allow us, Lord, to live sincere Christian lives, faithful to you. And when we falter, Lord, when we sin, pick us up, set us back on the path, Lord Jesus, and Continue to use us as a testimony to who you are in this world. Lord God, we love you. May you bless each one as we leave this place and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.